Imagine that the whole world is a calm ocean. Above the surface there is a blue sky. Beneath there is cool darkness. This, for our purpose, is everything that exists. An indefinite ocean, perfectly planar and undisturbed, stretching in all directions forever. This is the universe. It cannot be said to be possessed of features which are nowhere present, no storm clouds on the horizon, no rising and falling waves. It is in this sense, as I imagine an earlier state of our own universe, that I cannot be a panpsychist. I'll explain. According to panpsychism, a great deal of what exists out there is having its own form of an experience. Depending on the particulars of the panpsychist theorem, matter or energy or whatever basic configuration of physical stuff is divided up into a billion billion minds, each endowed with its own point of view. Or perhaps to get properly panpsychist about it, we must allow that a universe need not even have particulate matter and energy situated in its vastness in order to deliver subjective entities into being. All of this is logically plausible, of course, but I find, in the light of our own kind of consciousness and the problem it presents to science, that this kind of view is incomprehensible, a denial of emergentism to the point of absurdity. What thing in this universe of ours is not emergent from some more fundamental properties? Matter? Energy? Electromagnetic radiation? Galaxies? Planets? Life? Organisms? All of these phenomena stand up upon lower phenomena. For the sake of illustration, consider once again the universe as an endless, placid ocean. Into such a condition, it is necessary to introduce a calamity in order to complete my illustration. Allow that an asteroid comes plummeting into the picture and violently crashes through the surface of our universal ocean. Now, behold, the birth of great waves which rise and crest and spray before sinking again into the sea. What thing is this wave? Is it just water? Will we deny that something new is here in our world? Will we reduce the tally of what exists to the matter out of which it is composed? Are there not storms? Is there not the breath of life? These phenomena are emergent. They happen under conditions in which things are disturbed by other things. They exist necessarily under specific circumstances wherein their components are able to interact in some form. This, I contend, is the right framing for a phenomenon such as consciousness. It is not a new substance, but a new configuration, like the wave in my illustration. The human brain, in a state of non-consciousness, is altogether the same substance that can be shaken into consciousness. What then is this that has appeared upon its substrate? In fact, the network has been shaken into a state of integration. What asteroid has plummeted into its surface to give rise to such a miracle? Well, like all things in biology, this is complicated, not least of all because the human brain has been crafted by millions of little improvements and alterations, generation after generation. But we might simplify our conception of the state change as being what occurs when certain neurochemicals are allowed to influence the behavior of the global cortical network, notably acetylcholine and norepinephrine. These molecules alter the way the network's neurons communicate with one another. 
Notice that even the living human brain only exhibits consciousness intermittently. This realization makes panpsychism seem rather extreme. We should be focusing as we attempt to identify consciousness with something real and physically describable upon the difference between a conscious brain and the same brain when in a state of non-consciousness. Here, in that small signal, lies the emergence we are looking for. But this state of the brain is an activated condition, stimulated by the right signaling molecules continuously. So the metaphor of a calamitous event, the asteroid crashing into an ocean, isn't quite right. But weather conditions might be. When it's pouring rain, the surface of the water is continuously disturbed by falling projectiles. This produces an agitation of the surface on a continuous basis until the rain stops. This is more like the model we need. Now let's drop the metaphor. What is this universe in which we actually find ourselves? A field extending in space and time. Well, that's one way to look at it. Matter is a localized disturbance in the field. Complex configurations of matter are localized complexes or systems of disturbance. The disturbances exist and they account for everything we encounter or might discover. That's all they are. And yet everything we find in the natural world, animals and plants and moons and planets, all of them are some kind of system of disturbance. Even a single atom is a complex disturbance localized in space. My point is that in our kind of universe, too, everything we recognize is emergent. Think about how many levels of emergence there are in a living organism. It's really quite remarkable. I feel that there is often a conflation between the potential for an emergent property and the property itself. Of course, the infinite ocean could be disturbed to produce waves. But if you look at the endless ocean for a billion years and nary a wave is found, you cannot claim that waves are everywhere at all times. Likewise for consciousness. Of course we live in a universe that is consistent with consciousness. It's self-evident. But that doesn't mean that consciousness is everywhere and at all times. Moreover, what good does it do to argue for panpsychism? On reflection, it does solve one big problem. Everything in the universe is just a part of something bigger. Each thing, each atom or particle or whatever it is, is a modification of space-time. I've described it before as a wrinkle in the universal fabric. This means that the universe in the final analysis is a unity, not a collection of bits strewn into a pre-existing space. If this is correct, then panpsychism simply makes consciousness a property of the fabric. But remember, in the peaceful ocean model, there are no waves unless something has disturbed the peace. Waveness is not a property of our untouched ocean. Complex developments like solar systems and planets and atmospheres and all that are waves. The same is true for life forms, which are reducible to chemistry. The problem for emergent consciousness is that it is evidently an emergent unity. Where can a novel unity come from in such a universe as ours? If our universe comes down to a single unified field and all of its individuated features are localized field disturbances, including the human brain, then something quite spectacular must occur in the brain to generate a unified conscious mind. I'm not speaking in metaphor here. 
consciousness really is unified in a way that nothing else save the whole universe can be said to be unified. Consider anything that we would call an object, no matter how large or small. A stone, a chair, an airplane, a planet. Objectively, each of these individual objects is actually a collection of smaller parts. The same goes for an organism, of course. There is nothing special about the human organism, either. A liver cell is something which lives in a broader community of other cells. It does not know or care about its relationship to those other cells. It simply does what it does. The cell is as indifferent to the organism as a molecule of water is to the lake. None of these components and constituents has a point of view. Each cell is just part of a collection of things, and each thing is simply a localized disturbance in the field. But not consciousness. Consciousness is a true unity. It is not a point in space, but a system existing across a cortical thalamic network. That means it occupies space. Not the space of the human organism, not even the space of the whole brain. An innovation of the TICL was to realize that the conscious mind is only in contact with its own subsystems, not with the outside world. The unified mind senses the waves in its own surface, the wrinkles in its own fabric. They take the form of contents, each with its own meaning relative to the others and to the absence of others. Keep in mind that different types of contents require the functioning of disparate regions of the cortex. The contents which occur do so in a common, unified conscious mind. This means that the different areas of the brain are necessarily integrated into a single system. Otherwise, you could not both see and hear at the same time. Given all that, what remains when the contents are lost? I have suggested that consciousness without content does not exist, only that higher level contents, contents about contents if you like, can vanish under certain conditions without vanquishing consciousness itself. The question is whether the subject requires an object. Into this debate enters a concept called non-dual awareness. Zoran Josipovich published a paper in 2021 called Implicit Explicit Gradient of Non-Dual Awareness or Consciousness as Such. In it he writes, quote, Consciousness as such is then a type of knowing, a basic, non-conceptual, non-propositional awareness, without dualistic structuring of experience into conceptually reified subject and object. Hence, it has been termed non-dual awareness. Progressively deeper levels of meditation can reveal more subtle, ordinarily unconscious layers of conceptual mentation, so that at some point, even the basic propositional beliefs and category concepts that specify subject and objects can cease, and yet a basic non-dual awareness can still remain, vividly present and knowing. Granted, it is still possible that some entirely inaccessible unconscious conceptual processes, similar to those that construct ordinary cognitions, also underlie the phenomenal non-conceptuality of non-dual awareness. In other words, that only upper-level concepts and symbols cease but that deeper level, conceptual and propositional processes remain the same. However, the absence of key properties of ordinary conceptual cognition and metacognition, such as categorizing, 
memory associations, semantic tagging, and especially the pervasive dualistic subject-object structuring makes it unlikely that non-dual awareness is in itself a similar conceptual process as ordinary dualistic cognition. This is challenging because instances of completely isolated non-dual awareness are relatively rare, and non-dual awareness most often co-occurs with some amount of ordinary dualistic conceptual processes. Although this awareness is ordinarily only implicit in experience, it can, under certain circumstances, become explicit. When explicitly present, it knows itself inherently to be aware, and as the aware space within which conscious states and contents occur." Unquote. This idea of non-dual awareness limits the content of consciousness to a simple knowing that one is, in the most basic sense. Clearly, a state like this is a fully conscious one. Is this minimal consciousness? What if instead this state is an even higher level of consciousness than normal, in which all things are collapsed into a single nested wholeness, a state of oneness like I've talked about before? Josipovich goes on, quote, The key property of consciousness as such, or non-dual awareness, is its inherent capacity to know that it knows, that is, to be aware and know that it is aware, without mediation by concepts, propositions, or semantic, iconic, or numeric symbols. This direct, non-conceptual reflexivity is inherent in consciousness as such, as its property and is non-transitive, without subject-object structure. In non-dual contemplative traditions, it has also been termed self-knowing, self-recognition, or self-awareness, and more recently as non-representational reflexivity. This property makes non-dual awareness phenomenally and functionally unique. In other words, consciousness as such is unique because it is precisely just that which knows and knows that it knows directly as what it is. It could then be said that unless an organism or a system can, in principle, be reflexively aware in this way, it is not conscious in the same way that we humans are. The inherent reflexivity of non-dual awareness can become activated so that awareness recognizes itself and becomes explicit in experience with varying amounts of phenomenal content. For example, this self-recognition can occur when non-dual awareness is isolated from other content during minimal or minimized phenomenal experience, such as instances of attaining lucidity during deep non-REM sleep. It can also occur with full phenomenal content during ordinary wakefulness or in altered states. When non-dual awareness becomes explicit during minimal phenomenal experience, as in full meditative absorption, it appears as an open, empty cognizance, aware and present, but without any thoughts, emotions, or perceptions without a sense of body orientation, time, or the usual sense of self. Alternatively, various amounts and types of reduced content can be present during absorption states with non-dual awareness explicitly manifest. When non-dual awareness is fully explicit during wakefulness, it is experienced as simultaneously transcendent and imminent in conscious states and contents. It is transcendent as the silent, aware space that pervades and encompasses the entire conscious experience, one's entire perceptual bubble, and also imminent as that out of which everything is made, the way water in a glass is both the medium in which ice cubes float and the substance out of which they are made." Unquote. Isn't it strange to think that such a state might occur to us every night 
whenever we would describe a state after the fact as non-conscious? What if what happens is not really the loss of consciousness as we drift into dreamless sleep, but just the loss of content? In terms of the TICL, this would be like a system continuing to exist, but with a total absence of the functions that allow content to, to appear. It might simply be that there is nothing for memory to record because no subsystem is coming into being. In that case, the unremembered episode, no matter how long it persisted, would be understood as a state of non-consciousness. And what about while the state was occurring? Well, you'd be conscious without even noticing it. But the author told us explicitly that non-dual awareness is a state of being vividly present and knowing, just without concepts and all the rest. So maybe it's like a lucid state that can be achieved through extraordinary practice, like lucid dreaming, only there is no dream. In one final passage that I'll share, Josipovich discusses the functions of non-dual awareness. He writes, quote, In terms of its function, non-dual awareness has been compared to a mirror, while phenomena that appear to, ha to it have been compared to reflections in the mirror. Its manner of knowing phenomena can be described as mere reflecting or registering without categorization or further conceptual elaboration, i.e. without labeling, associating, evaluating forming decisions, or taking itself as a reified subject that knows phenomena as reified objects. Thus, non-dual awareness is neither the reflective nor the pre-reflective consciousness as usually understood, neither slow nor fast thinking, as these are based on conceptual processes and on implicit subject-object duality. Furthermore, just as a single mirror reflects all of the images of objects present in front of it, the effect of this singular awareness is to further unify various elements of conscious experience. This corresponds to a major function of non-dual awareness in unifying intrinsic self-related and extrinsic environment-related aspects of experience. In this sense, non-dual awareness, when explicitly present, functions as the conscious space in which experience occurs, not the conceptualized schematic space of distances, routes, or boundaries, but the single non-conceptual space encompassing the entire perceptual bubble of any non-dual conscious experience, pervading the internal and external environments at the same time. In such experiences, non-dual awareness also functions to relax the habit of sorting experience into acceptable and unacceptable parts." Non-dual awareness strikes me as a state of mind in which what is perceived is perceived just as it appears, uncriticized, undescribed, and defined. It is neither good nor bad, short or long. So it might be the ground of consciousness. I've described the contents of consciousness as nested, and I've previously gone into this at some length, even in my published work. This enables complex relationships among contents to be understood implicitly. Earlier, I proposed that the experience of oneness might occur when all of experience is captured within one great nest, containing everything. Here, I offer the opposite. A loss of this function in a state of non-dual awareness such that nothing is nested, but only laid out on its own. So each piece of content is unrelated to or compared to each other piece. Which it is, I don't know. But I have to think that the final largest nest possible inside of which all contents can be contained, is the point of view. It is consciousness itself. René Descartes proposed that there are two worlds, that of physical stuff and that of mental stuff, two realms mysteriously entangled. 
I'm not sure he was as far wrong as philosophers today would have it. I believe we will discover that mental stuff is physical stuff too. There is only one realm. But there are in this analysis two kinds of unity. The unity of the whole universe and the unity of a conscious mind. The latter are like bubbles floating about in the medium of the former. We are such bubbles looking inward upon ourselves, gazing into the only mirror we can ever know, and dreaming up a world in the reflection.